Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... It's not, and like, you know what, you're always going to have like your great aunt Mildred is always going to give a classic book, like you know, <laughs> one of the classics and like great, like that's wonderful. Of course, like it's great for a kid's library to have that, but you know, if you're kind of like younger than aunt Mil- great aunt Mildred and you want to like not just give a classic, like do something different, try a different book, you know, if it's a teen, give them stamped or like, you know. Uh, Dear Justice or Dear Martin from Nick, uh, you know, just try something different and um, be a part of that change. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 634. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner if you want to support the show. Today I'm joined by Eva Chen. Eva's Juno Valentine series brings forth the world of fashion in an inviting and inclusive way that Eva herself describes as something of a fashion feminist fairy tale. The latest in the Junoverse is 321 Awesome, 20 fearless women who dared to be different. Illustrated by Juno Valentine artist Derek Desierto, this book counts down amazing accomplishments by women across the globe in a format that adds up to a whole lot of awe. Eva's latest book is called Roxy, The Last Unisaurus Rex. It's illustrated by Matthew Rivera, and in this story, Eva embraces biracial representation and feeling like you're the only one. As Eva shares, every kid goes through a phase where they're unsure of themselves or their place in the universe. Well, Eva Chen is on a mission to make sure that every kid knows that their home is right here. Please welcome my guest, Eva Chen, author of 321 Awesome and Roxy, The Last Unisaurus Rex. So uh, my name is Eva Chen. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers, I guess. Um, and uh, I guess for those of you listening who don't know me, I am a children's book author, which is literally a manifestation of my dreams since I was eight years old. And so I'm thrilled to be on this podcast talking to you, Matthew. Um, and I've written at this point, gosh, five books. So um Juno Valentine and the Magical Shoes was my first book. Um, 
kind of a fashion feminist fairy tale um, about stepping into female icons' shoes for the day. Um, that was followed with Juno Valentine and the Fantastic Fashion Adventure, in which you meet Juno's irrepressible, slightly uh, troublemaking little brother, Finn Valentine. And then we have two accompany- accompanying board books. Um, the first one is A's for Awesome, and we have female icons um, in the book from Catherine Graham to Malala to Oprah Winfrey, of course, uh, Julia Child. And then the fourth book in the Juno uh, family would be, or I guess Junoverse, if I want to make a mom joke. <laughs> I'm trying to make Junoverse happen. I'm trying really hard, but my publisher is like, even no one's saying Junoverse yet. And I'm like, I'm trying. Um, but the fourth book in the Juno family is 321 Awesome. And so A is for Awesome is a letter book. Um, it's an alphabet book. And 321 Awesome is a numbers book. Um, and it kind of counts down women and their accomplishments uh, through the lens of numbers. So Twyla Tharp, Temple Grandin, um, you know, Flojo is in the first book. Yeah, Rihanna is in this one. Rihanna is in this one. Greta... And Megan Rapinoe, uh, who um, I had to, I was DMing with her on Instagram. And I'm like, I want to make sure that the color of your pink hair is the right, perfect pink. (laughs) I back-checked her pink hair. And of course, she changed it to purple one week later. And I was like, Megan, when the book comes out, please change your hair back to pink. And she was like, ha, 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 maybe. Um, (laughs) So those were the Juno books. And then um, coming out in October very soon, which I cannot believe, is a book called Roxy, The Last Unisaurus Rex. And so this book, I'm like, I mean, I'm I'm excited about all my books. All of this is kind of like a dream come true for me. But Roxy is a story of a half T-Rex, half unicorn, um, who's trying to find her place and her way in find who she is in her school. She's surrounded by T-Rexes who are very self-confident and velociraptors who are part of like a track team that, you know, she might not be fast enough to join. And um, and it's it was just kind of born of this idea where my daughter is five years old now, but when she was four years old, she um, was having a conversation with one of her friends uh, she has a cool older friend who is seven. Oh my god! Like so mature, Whoa, so much older, so two much years older, older no and, doubt. Yeah, right. And so she was talking to one of her older friends, and the older friend was like, "Why do you have all these dinosaurs in your apartment? Like, girls don't play with dinosaurs." And Ren was like, kind of like heartbroken. She came up to me that night, and she was that said that like, "Oh, so and so said that girls don't play with dinosaurs, but I really like dinosaurs." And I was like, "You play with dinosaurs." And she said that, like, I'm only supposed to like unicorns. And my daughter likes unicorns, but, like, is not quite gaga for unicorns the way, like, some girls are. Um, And so thinking of something that was a hybrid that kind of combined the best of the unicorn world and the best of the T-Rex world. And there we have Roxy. So those are my books. Love that. And and I've been in lockdown, surrounded by, like, hundreds of books, reading frantically to my children, <laughs> like every day. That's like, that's how we've been passing the time. So sounds like a very me. healthy way to pass the time. I can recite so many books right now. <laughs> like this is the story of Rosie Revere who dreamed of becoming a great engineer. Like I literally <laughs> know it's just it's like that calms my kids down when they're not bouncing off the walls. Um, so I have a really deep appreciation of, 
like children's book authors and just like books in general. Um, and so, yeah, that's me in a book nutshell. Well, so cool to know that from age eight, you were connected to story and wanted to share stories. And that was something that, that, that now you have in the world. And not only that, but your, your children are of such a great age to be reading these books. That's a neat, a neat timing. Yeah, they, I mean, I've been, I have a built-in focus group, I guess, but they love books. Like I, I really believe that as much as you can surrounding your children with books and also setting a good example for them as parents. Like I, I read a lot, not just children's books, but I just, my husband and I both read a lot, a lot. Um, and when we think about like our living spaces, it's always been like, okay, we should, we, we could use another bookshelf. You know, um, I always, I go into people's apartments or homes and I'm like, I have any books? Where are their books? I, I always do find that a little bit weird when people have no books or no bookshelves. And I'm like, where are the books they read? Right. Maybe they read. I don't know. When that quote unquote me. cleaning up means like hiding the book somewhere else, like leave oh. those out. Come on. Oh, well, we have like these nightstands and they are like about to like collapse under the weight of books. Cause you know, whenever I finish a book, I just kind of shove it into the nightstand. It doesn't really go like, <laughs> you know, onto the bookshelf because the bookshelf of course is full. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, and I, I, my, I have a, my best friend from college lives in Pennsylvania and I like, whenever I finish a book, I'll like WhatsApp her a picture of the book and I'll say, Hey, do you want to read this next? And then like she and I like have like, we do a, two-person book club which sounds kind of sad but then we'll like text each other like opinions and um yeah I, I just think it's it's even now when I work at Instagram which is like my full-time job um and even in this age of like digital and social media um I do feel like I I don't read books digitally because I I love the feeling of paper in my hands I love the smell of a book you open it yeah. um that tactile sensation begins really young you know like when you read about like sensory um, development and stimulation for for young people. Like I think there's something grounding about having the weight on your lap of a book. Um, like I've been reading about weighted blankets. This sounds yeah. so random. Like weighted <laughs> blankets, like where people are like, you need a weighted blanket. They seem very trendy right now. You see them at like Bed Bath and Beyond and like CBS. And I'm like, wow, they've reached a level of like mainstreamness that like I need a weighted blanket. But when you read about it, it's like, oh, it's comforting to have weight on your lap uh, or on your, and they have like lap blankets for kids. And I'm like, well, it's like, I imagine like a child reading like Harry Potter, like, the seventh one, which is like, you know, 800 pounds, like that's like a weighted blanket. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I can, I, but it is though, because I think about <laughs> as a child, you holding on to a book, I, ideally, we hope that all children are read to and read to often. So there's a connection of maybe being in a lap and having a book and arms wrap around you, right? Um, mm -hmm. And having that continue, that weight of having it under your arm or in your hands or mm -hmm. the feel of the page. And what that does then as it carries into adulthood, I, I wonder how many people reading have continued to read, not just because of the story, but also because there is a connectedness to the touch of a book, much like when you smell something and it reminds you of your 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 parents' house growing up or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think we, we don't think about books often that way. So to hear you talk about it, the the sort of sensory 
connection or memory, I, I think is not without merit. Yeah, I mean, my daughter, my, my husband is reading uh, Danny, the champion of the world to uh, the, the Roald Dahl classic, yeah. uh, my daughter right now. And she's only five, but um, he reads her chapter books every night because she loves it. Um, and he's reading my old copy of the book, which uh, like, and it's pretty old because I'm 40. Uh, it's like not a new book and it's kind of precious to me. And then the cover and the back cover fell off and I like, <laughs> and, I'm like and, um, and so now he's like, I just found it on the bookshelf. And I was like, it was on the upper left corner of the bookshelf, which means do not touch like memories. Um, and so now when my husband reads books to my daughter, like we're, we're buying new copies because I'm like, I can't seeing like the cover kind of like on the nightstand separated from the book gives me physical pain. Oh my um, word. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I, well, let's talk about books. Let's talk about you writing books. You brought up your daughter already for uh, part of the inspiration for Roxy. I'd love to know uh, more about how this story came together. My daughter, uh, I have a five-year-old as well, uh, and I have a 10-year-old. Um, my daughter is five, and she uh, <laughs> now does this really funny thing when she rolls her eyes when we take in the mail because it's daddy's book mail. Because it's always, uh-huh. is, it, is it something for my kitchen to play with at home? Is it something for dress up? Uh, Daddy's book mail. But um, she, she does love to sort through what books we, we get in the mail and what we read together. Uh, and this one with the pink sparkly cover was one Yay! that moved right to the top of the pile. But uh, in reading it, it, there was a lot of, there's just a lot of sweetness. It made me kind of actually... Uh, sad a, a bit that here my daughter is starting kindergarten having only done half of uh pre-k before we went on quarantine and she'll start mm-hmm. kindergarten virtual uh, so whenever mm-hmm. i read books that that are in you know school or community yeah. with people there's that that tinge but but it also was a a, a really sweet story that actually let's be real with five-year-olds um she asked me right away eva if um, if dinosaurs really had you, if, did dinosaurs really have horns, Daddy? And I was like, this is great. <laughs> what a fun connection for you. You know what? Who knows? Maybe they will just. Well, I mean, like, think about it. Triceratops technically have three oh, totally. horns. Totally, a, a rhinoceros exactly. is technically a unicorn, right? <laughs> yeah, narwhals exist. Um, yeah, no, it was really it was such a fun book to write. Uh, Roxy. I got the name because of Chicago, Roxy Hart. Um, and so when you think okay. about it, I don't, I, I'm assuming that you've seen it. I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. someone recently who hadn't seen it and I was like shocked and horrified. Um, but like that, that kind of like Moxie and that stash, like Roxy definitely has. Um, and one of the things that um, you'll hopefully notice in the book is that like the mother is the T-Rex, the father is the unicorn, the father, Flounces and princes, um, you know, his hair. Uh, whereas the mom, you know, has some anger issues as a T Rex, and you know, is a huge carnivore. And so that's kind of like I was pretty deliberate about kind of flipping gender stereotypes, um, kind of on their head. And you actually see that in Juno, uh, the second Juno book, uh, Fantastic Fashion Adventure, as well, where the mom is on the phone. Um, and the dad is like wearing the apron and holding the pancakes. Like I, I, cause I do feel like kids pick up on cues like that. Um, and uh, I even remember when I was reading, I think it was make way for ducklings, you know, they were definitely like 
race kind of uh, and con- uh, and class kind of that as an adult I see like different accents, different ways people talked, um, and I think kids will pick up on that. I hope that kids pick up on that. That you know, the, the mom can be the one who's like out on the hunt, and the dad uh, is the one at home cooking pancakes. Um, but it was such a fun book to write because. Um, kind of imagining the prehistoric world uh, as seen through a school's eyes. So uh, the Triceratops are the kind of like, I was imagining the ruffle and the frill around their head as almost like, you know, a crown. And so it's like the mean girls are the Triceratops. Um, and then you have the Velociraptors who are like the track team. And I remember speaking with Matthew, my illustrator, and I was like, you know, like the, the track suit in um, the Wes Anderson movie, The Royal Tenenbaums? Like, <laughs> I'd like the Velociraptors to be wearing a tracksuit and like Matthew is such a pro, he's unflappable and he was like, hmm, okay, let me try something. Uh, he's like very, very uh, even and funny and dry and he has such a great eye. I actually found him on Instagram um, as I actually did with my first illustrator, Derek Desierto for Juno. Um, I kind of stalk people <laughs> on Instagram a bit. Like I watch their stories, I like kind of get, turn on post notifications to see what they're posting to get the, a vibe of what they'd be to work with. Um, and Matthew did not disappoint. Like he's a real dinosaur nerd as well. Um, and so uh, he just brought such color and detail into everything. Um, and he brought Roxy to life in a way that I could not have imagined. Hey there, book nerds. You want to know what's even better than hearing bookmakers share stories of how their ideas became the books you love? Having those stories in your home, your classroom, your library, or your life to be enjoyed over and over. Bookshop.org allows you to purchase your favorite books from the show and support local bookstores while doing it. I even maintain lists of the books shared each season, so it's easy to find what you're looking for. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop, or use the link in the show notes to find your next favorite story. Um, but I kind of work with my illustrators. Um, uh, I, I didn't realize when I started writing my books that most of the time, I didn't know that like children's book authors often never talk to an illustrator. Like not, often not until the book is done from what I hear. Yeah. I know there's that's always like, cases that, that change that, but, but that's, I think the most common story is not talking to the illustrator until the book is done. That is like so crazy to me. I like, I had no idea. So like when I started working with Jean Fywell, um, I was like, Oh my gosh. And I found this illustrator and like, I, I love him. And like, I've been DMing him and she was like, Oh, that's untraditional. But basically, <laughs> like, I the way like when you talked about the pink sparkle, for instance, on the cover of the Roxy book, like I literally had samples and swatches of glitter, um, and I like chose the glitters. Like I that's cool. probably was. I literally like I the, we have an um, we had an amazing art director on um, on Roxy that I worked really closely with, but like so many of the teeny tiny details, um, like I really. Enjoyed working on maybe it's like type my slight type a 
personality, but like, I love choosing the glitter. And with the Juno books, like for the first one, especially like I literally taped up all these glitter samples. Then I went to books of wonder with the same glitter samples and was like, what would pop in the lighting of books of wonder? Cause it's like go. a dream have the book there. And then I went to Barnes and Noble and Union Square because that was the bookstore I grew up going to. Uh, and I also pasted like, and the salespeople thought I was like insane. They were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, just checking your lighting to see if the glitter would pop. Um, but it was such, it was so much fun. Like I, I really loved the whole process of books and um, have, have learned a lot. Like I didn't realize how long it took or it takes to, for a book from inception to, you know, landing in a, you know, on a, at a bookshelf, like two years, yeah. you don't realize how complex and how, um, how set in stone a lot of these processes really are. I feel like many people also don't realize, and you're giving um, light to this as you're saying it, um, how, how many people are on a book. The fact that you're saying you're writing it and then um, you have an illustrator and you have this editor and you have this art director, there are many, many, many hands on a book. And to know that that every decision is thought about. You gave a lot of thought to um, the design aesthetic of the sparkles itself and how it will catch light or you know change color, have sort of um, uh, nuance when the light hits it. Um, similar thought is given to like spot gloss or the kind of paper used. And, I, and quite frankly, I, I think that there are many readers, I know I'm not the only one, but that that is a quality that directly appeals to me. We you know, books in that way are multi-sensory. We can smell the smell of a new book or the glue on the pages or the the way the paper feels, the weight of the paper. And I think that all of those help build a certain relationship with the reader and the book. And so it's, it's I think it's great that you thought about that. I think probably uh, on the other side of it, though, many people just aren't thinking that. They're thinking, I'm going to write the words and, and that's where my job will be done. And that to that degree, it's wonderful that publishing has the strong people working for it that it does because that's what evokes the magic when we finally mm -hmm. get that book on the bookshelf. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there. I mean, yeah, there's. For me, it's like what I would say to your listeners is like the next time you go to a bookstore with a mask on, of course, and hand sanitizer on your hands, and you pick up a book, like feel the paper. Like there's there's the semi matte paper. Like there's the. It's just like satiny paper it's just like it's so satisfying um i remember for um roxy i really loved the idea of like kind of almost like that matte feeling paper um that feels kind of it just feels really satisfying in your hands um and uh because i learned that because of like the the colors that we had in our book it, like, it, it wouldn't work but um i really nerd out over the, these kind of things uh i I am the kind of person who like if I'm buying like a paper towel holder, I will research it until I know everything about different paper towel holders. And like, <laughs> um, I kind of approached books the same way. Um, because I want it to like books, listen, they're not inexpensive. They're 1899 or 1999 or 999 for board books. And you want something that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be precious to someone hopefully, or, or it's a gift like with like sent with love. And so you want something that, is something that some someone has put a lot of thought into. So I, I've like, and I've also like hidden little references in all of my books. Um, I'm like a pop culture nerd. I can watch like the movie Clueless like a bajillion times. I can talk about reality TV until I'm blue in the face. Um, uh, and 
you know, I've hidden a lot of little pop culture references into all of my books because I know that the mom might be, you know, might recognize like the Mean Girls reference or the Royal Tenenbaums references in Roxy. Um, and I want, I want that. Like, I want that kind of fun Easter egg, you know, kind of feeling. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. And then I'm going to ask you a question. When I read the, um, the, the tracksuits, my brain, I wish it went to Royal Tenenbaums because I love that movie. For some reason, my brain went to Kill Bill. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, yeah, fighters, tough, killer. Yeah, um, in a so very funny. different direction. But, okay, but okay. another iconic fashion choice for that movie. Just interesting that, that my brain went there. Um, I wanted to talk about, well, not only just the, the overarching theme of the book, but also the title choice, because here you have, we don't get this often in picture books, uh, you have a, a, a biracial child, right? You have um, mm-hmm. dad um, comes from this background, mom comes from this background, and you are a, a, you know, a mix of those parts. You're, you're greater than those parts together because you're your own individual, Roxy is. But to then mm-hmm. title and to have Roxy struggling with the feeling of, the title is Roxy, the last Unisaurus Rex, to feel like you're the only, you're, you're mm. a- away from someone else. The, the notion of using the word last feels like um, there, there's sort of a, a, a defeatedness attached to it. Like, I'm never going to overcome this thing. I'm stuck being this one type of way. I, I thought that that was uh, a very big idea to hang on a picture book. And those are ideas that I really love chewing on when we get picture books. So imagine my delight. But, um, but it did cause me as, as, as you would imagine to think about where else am I seeing this in picture books ever that we're really engaging with the idea of, of coming from two different backgrounds, two different places of (laughs) reference. And what does that mean for the child and how they identify and how they walk through the world. And so I was really grateful to see that explored in this book. Well, that, that was very much, you know, I grew up um, in the 80s as a first-generation American. My parents came from uh, China and Taiwan. And, you know, I always felt kind of like in limbo um, when, I was, when I was younger. Like, I, I feel like I would spend weekends in Chinatown buying groceries, speaking Chinese. When I went home, I would speak Chinese. But then at school, you know, I'd be speaking English. And I was often the only you know, Asian or East Asian face, uh, in the whole grade, whole like lower school, et cetera. And so that feeling of like, you're the only one or you're alone, I think identify with that, um, whether it's because of race or gender identity or another reason, you know, um, I think every kid goes through a phase or most kids go through a phase where they're like unsure of themselves or they don't know, um, you know, where, what their place is in the world. And I, I mean, I, I, I hope that Roxy is like a gentle way of kind of um, telling kids that it's okay, it's better to be yourself. And it took me a long time, a long time to learn that. You know, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm 40 and I feel like I see kids with so much confidence now, whether they're, I mean, I think a lot of, there are a lot of self-confident five-year-olds, but like 15-year-olds, I do think like you, you see 12th graders, like I do feel like this, these next few generations are going to change the world. And I can't imagine being, when I was 15, I was so insecure, but I can't imagine, like, I see the confidence and the power that teenagers um, and young adults have these days, and it's really inspiring. And so 
I hope that these messages can be seeded to kids very early that your individuality is your, is your superpower. And I think a lot of first generation Americans that I talk to, um, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of trying to fit in and trying to uh, assimilate for first generation Americans because you don't want to stand out too much. You don't want to be bullied. You don't want to be different. Um, but that's different. Like now for kids, I think they're told, or at least the, a lot of the ones I know are told to embrace their differences. And that's really what Roxy is about. She's, she's a, she's amazing. Uh, she's half unicorn, half T-Rex. Come on. Like two of the best creatures in the world. Love it. Um, and she just wants to find a friend who gets it. And she, um, and I don't want to spoil the book, but, <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, it's a lovely story. Congratulations on its release. Before we go, I also want to have a chance to talk about Juno. I remember when you debuted with Juno and how much I loved the story and felt like there have not been picture books about fashion that I've ever read. And then we come to now where you have this new board book, 321 Awesome, coming out. And I feel similarly like when have I ever read a counting book that's counting down and also counting accomplishments by the number it's referencing. Like you've got counting down with, we mentioned Megan Rapineau. Um, Megan is 15 because, yeah. because Megan's jersey is 15. And then 14 is fighting Shirley Chisholm, um, where the text reads, uh, she was the first African-American woman in Congress. She represented New York's 12th congressional district for 14 years. So we're taking numbers in context of of lives lived and things accomplished. I thought this is amazing. So so tell me about fashion. Tell me about Juno. Tell me about this story. So I was a so I was a fashion editor and a magazine editor for uh, a decade and always have loved fashion. My mom definitely was a huge inspiration. She's a very very fashionable uh, woman. Um, and so I was always surrounded by fashion, but, um, you know, I think that the default is to think that fashion is silly or fashion is like, you know, not, but fashion is armor for a lot of women. Um, and so for the Juno books, I wanted, uh, Juno Valentine to step into the shoes of amazing women from Frida Kahlo to Anna Wintour to Gloria Steinem. And I write, I, I feel like I write Juno books to be an introduction to these amazing women, um, I want children to be like, who is Yayoi Kusama or who is um, Twyla Tharp? And for, for, for parents to kind of sit and do research uh, on, together and learn about these amazing women together. I think the best books open doors um, and open, um, you know, kind of or open a window or into a new world um, and invite you to step in and to learn about this person and their struggles and what they went through. Um, and so it's been so, so fun. Not going to lie. The numbers book was kind of tough. It was, it was, Hard, tough right? Right. <laughs> it was really like, God, like I need to find another number nine. I, who I think I ended up being Dolly Parton or like, um, you know, it, 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 it's harder to fit those in because I also was really cognizant and mindful where it's like, I wanted, um, like Latinx representation. I wanted, um, East Asian, I wanted Southeast Asian and, um, and we're talking about like 20 numbers, you know? Um, yeah. So A is for awesome. I've been blown away by the first board book, the response to the first board book. Um, I, I can't, I can't believe um, how many people I um, hear or, you know, see with the book um, sometimes just in the background of their photos on Facebook. Um, I remember I visited a school 
uh, with my daughter when we were uh, looking at kindergartens and like they had the book on display in their library and I was like, oh my God, I wrote that. Um, it was, it, it never fails to give me a thrill when I see my books um, like in real life. But the Juno books have been really, really, really just so much fun to write. She's um, like, it's, she's biracial. Um, I, I, there are not, I can think of probably like you, you can probably think of like dozens, but I can think of maybe like five to seven books right off the top of my head about with biracial characters. I, it makes me really happy that there are so many more coming. Um, but I think it's important. Like I always say, like, I always say like Juno is half Asian, just like you Ren, um, because I, I want her to know like to make it the new normal, to make it okay. And for not, her not to be confused. To give those children, those readers a mirror we there are not a lot of books that explicitly identify a child as biracial. I had a fourth grader this year who she that became her mission was to find these books and we would work together looking and and part of the challenge is that books aren't necessarily tagged that way in search engines and and trying to find blog posts where people are centering this you uh it, you come to the realization as I was going to say about three, two, one, awesome as well, that, that representation must be intentional. And Eva, you've taken great care in this book to be representative, to be inclusive of not just, um, not just of cultural or ethnic background, but also of different ages, of different occupations. You've got, uh, sharing the same spread, Sonia Sotomayor at 10, because of at the age of 10, she declared wanting to be a lawyer, made me think of you at age eight. But then mm -hmm. your number nine uh, is Greta, Greta Thunberg, who was just a ninth grader when she started um, that, that school strike. I think that, that to have that juxtaposition of on, on the left side of the page, Sonia Sotomayor uh, has been just just being in the Supreme Court has meant dreams realized for children, that I could be like her. And on the very next page to have Greta there to say, I'm that age and I could be doing this now. I think that, uh, I know that that is not accidental, that this book from cover to cover is looking at contemporary heroes as well as those who have passed. I think that the the, the work you said about what hard work it was, it shows and it matters. So thank you for that. Well, I, it's, it's so important and it is like, it's intentional and it is work and it, it yes, it makes my job as an author harder, but the, I have to, there's, there's you, you can't not do it. It's so important to represent and to give that next generation um, like a, a mirror to themselves and also a springboard for them to accomplish their dreams and to set yes. their goals high. Well, for all that you are doing to help bring these stories and this representation to readers, Eva, I'm very, very grateful. Thank you for putting time aside to talk with me. Thank you for the time you've committed in your life to making these books and bringing them forward for our readers. Thank you for having me. And um, I am look like I am going to, continue to buy your recommendations. I'm going to buy the, um, 
Shades of Brown book right now as soon as we log off. And so I'm grateful for you adding to uh, one more book to our overflowing bookshops. Ah, yes. Magnificent Homespun Brown. Love that. Well, let's leave on this note as we're thinking of libraries and our children. Eva, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? My message to the children in the library would be to dream big um, and to ask questions and never doubt that you are special, that you are capable, and that there's magic inside of you and that you will change the world. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the free music archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron, and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.